0: Welcome everyone to our chronological look at the career of Carol Kane here on Praising Kane, episode three. And today we're going to be talking about the award-winning Canadian drama, Wedding in White, from 1972. Hi everyone, I'm your esteemed host, guide and guru, Liam O'Donnell. And with me is my not quite so esteemed, not quite so respectable co-host and personal demon, Doug Tilly. Doug, how are you doing? It's, It's July 4th in my life, but in Canada, isn't it something else like We Hate Freedom Day or something like that?
1: Uh, We're a little bit more nuanced than that here in Canada, Liam, and it's great that we're talking about this, A, because now it it lets people know when we're recording this, which should be a while in advance of when it's actually released, but also the fact that uh, we're going to be talking about Canada a lot in this episode, which yeah. is very exciting for me. People who nope. are longtime listeners of my podcast know I get so excited about Canadian movies. I love talking about them. I love getting them out there in the world. It's something that makes me a little depressed to think about. But not today, Liam. It's all positivity. We're talking about something so exciting, so much fun, 1972's Wedding in White.
0: It's a real chuckle fit. <laughs> it's a real... <laughs> I You know, I I had to... Time. I want to timestamp every recording I do because the world is such a hellfire that something mm. terrible could have happened between now and when people are hearing this. And I want to make sure people know that whatever it was, we're not ignoring it. We're just <laughs> recording in the past and we can't quite see the future. How, how come Liam's not mentioning the murder
1: hornets in this particular episode? Yeah,
0: exactly. Who knows what happened in that time? Um, well, you know, a little bit of uh, Carol Kane uh, info since we are on a Carol Kane, Did you know we're on a Carol Kane podcast right now? Doug
1: Carol Kane, the beloved
0: actress. Yeah, we, d- we started one because she's so great. Um uh, people, uh, hopefully if they're listening to the show, know her for many things, but one of the things they might know her from is Netflix unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, A conversation with the stars and creators will be available at 12 p.m. on July 3rd. That was yesterday. That's my birthday. Uh, And it's a conversation uh, on Netflix with creators Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. Now, these are also the people that were involved with 30 Rock. Am I correct in that? Yes. Uh, Along with cast members Ellie Kemper, Titus Burgess, Jane Krakowski, Carol Kane. Oh, that's why we're covering it. John Hamm and Daniel Radcliffe. They're all going to be talking to each other. I got to ask Doug. Are you going to break your ban on Netflix, which you have because you're some sort of leftist pinko Canadian, mm. uh, and actually watch this?
1: You know, I haven't watched the Choose Your Own Adventure Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt episode yet. Uh, it's, I, mean, I, I, I
0: I I just spit coffee everywhere. Just so yeah, you know, I know. I it's to hard buy a to new believe. Laptop
1: now. Right? Look, I don't want to come off as. Uh, You know, a big old lefty (laughs) Something I'm always worried about But uh, I do think there are elements of 30 Rock that have aged particularly badly And elements of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt that have aged badly Even though it's only a few years old And I do feel conflicted about Tina Fey's view of humor uh, Even though I still find both of those shows really funny a lot of the times And I find a lot of the performances on them very endearing And I also think that maybe some of those criticisms might be slightly overblown At least according to me, uh, you know, a 40-year-old white guy um, But be that as it may, I might check it out because I do find those actors very endearing I find Ellie Kemper and Titus Burgess and Jane Krakowski and, of course, Carol Kane I mean, I find all of these actors incredibly endearing So, yeah, you know what? I probably will check it out You know, one thing I haven't checked out, Liam, and we haven't really talked about Is Carol Kane's other TV series that is currently airing, I guess you could call it that. Though, in this age, what does airing actually mean? Which is the show Hunters on Amazon Prime, uh, starring. I'm glad Al you brought that up because mm-hmm. I was
0: just thinking like we hadn't talked about it yet. And I haven't. I mean, part of the reason I think we haven't talked about it yet is I haven't had a chance to watch it. Have you spent any time with that show?
1: I was really excited when it was about to premiere. I know Jordan Peele is involved with producing it. The cast looked really interesting. The idea of Nazi hunters is something that I can super get behind. Uh, But then the sort of the initial reviews for it were mixed to negative, at least in, uh, in the world that I exist in. Uh, and the people that I encounter in my daily life And so I never really caught up with it I do believe there is a second season coming of Hunters I still think the idea of Al Pacino hunting Nazis Sounds like something that must be a lot of fun to watch uh, Or if not fun, then at least very interesting So I'm sure I will catch up on it Particularly because we might actually eventually get to it On this show, though we got a few years to go yet uh, But yeah, no, I, I haven't checked out Hunters I, I If there are people out there listening who are big fans of that series? Who uh, would like to recommend it? Maybe they could get in touch with us through the website or through our social media. Let us know. We should watch Hunters, Liam.
0: I agree. I'm, I, you know, it's just hard to keep up with TV and starting a new series is a commitment. You know, it's yeah. something that you know, especially in the age of bingeable television that it might eat up a chunk of your time that you wanted to spend doing other things. So uh, I haven't started it yet. I'm excited to start it. I, the, the only criticism I heard a lot was actually around the length of the show that like the episodes felt long and it felt like they didn't have as much direction as they could, which is a pretty big discouragement to me because I don't want to get sucked into something that begins to feel like a chore. So, yeah. uh, but still, yeah, I gotta watch it. I gotta watch it. I, I,
1: I sometimes gotta. think about the T V series that are, you know, universally beloved that I still haven't gotten to. I I'm embarrassed to say, and I just tweeted about this a few days ago, that I've never watched past the first season of Twin Peaks, and I've always kind of lost interest in the second season. But knowing that the third season is there and everybody loves it and everyone says it's this amazing thing, but I can't just skip the second season. I just wouldn't be able to mentally do that. So I've just started a rewatch. Of Twin Peaks. And as I've mentioned on a previous episode, I've never watched The Sopranos all the way through. It's hard to start a new series that I'm only, maybe I'm only kind of liking as opposed to loving, knowing that there are series that I almost certainly would love just waiting there for me.
0: I'm in the same spot. I think I most things like that I've actually caught, although I did attempt to re- I've i have tried to re-watch Twin Peaks. So I watched season two, uh when it was happening and I mm-hmm. watched it again later on in college but recently because that third season was there I started to rewatch zip through season 1 just it flew past and then it's always happens four episodes into season <laughs> 2 I start to lose interest and I I have trouble getting back to it so I really want to cuz I still haven't watched that season 3 and I and I need to do it you know
1: uh the the most interesting thing about this episode of Praising Kane is that we have finally gotten to a Carol Kane performance. And I guess that's a really unfair thing to say. It's it's just that the first two movies and the first two episodes that we've talked about on this series, the combined running time of Carol Kane on screen is probably what, 5 minutes, maybe not even 5 minutes. It's so good to finally get to a movie which has not only a lot of Carol Kane's screen time, but also a real performance at its core, which is, you know, not even a supporting performance. She's right at the center of this movie. And I have to say, one of the things about watching her in this movie is how striking she looks in it. And I'm not talking about attractiveness or anything along those lines. She just has a very unique, extremely pale look. And one of the things I put into our show notes here is a tweet from at Jen Ashley Wright, Liam, where it's a headshot of her from around this time period. And she says, this is the tweet, I thought this was a beautiful Victorian ghost, and then I realized it was Carol Kane's headshot. She really was a very uh, unique-looking actress at this time period.
0: Yeah, in fact, um, it's one of the first things I notice. We've seen her in two other films, and and she was very noticeably Carol Kane, but she's not Mm. on screen that long. This film, seeing her for a longer period of time is realizing... She's always looked like herself in a sense, but younger Carol Kane was uh, unbelievably striking. And again, not in a way where I'm like, oh, she's she's hot or something. Crass in fact, they like they that. go out
1: of their way in this movie to make sure that 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 she, she looks young. She looks young, and her attractiveness is is kind of backseated to uh, like her friend character in the movie. She is supposed right. to look like a quote unquote normal person,
0: but she's. <sighs> I mean, not that she's not normal, but you know what I mean. She's always been noticeable. She's always had a very unique look, exactly, uh, and a very strikingly unique look. And that idea of that picture—she looks like a Victorian ghost—is just too good because it's exactly what she looks like. And even in this movie, if she had, if the twist had been she was haunting this family and she wasn't actually alive, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, <laughs> uh, there's just something very sort of unique about uh, her her appearance, and I, I appreciate that. So. Um, Well, we we should take a break and then come back to talk about this this film, um, which is, as you said, a screwball comedy. And I can't (laughs) wait to talk about all the laughs and all the pratfalls. The pratfalls really stick out to me the most um, because I think it's going to be really great.
1: Yeah, it, look, it's it's we're we're being a little facetious here, Liam. In fact, very facetious. This is a very dark, very dramatic movie. Uh, it is very depressing to watch. It's also extremely Canadian, which is at least something I'm excited about depressing. talking about. That's uh, depressing I'm, That's look, why you it's know depressing. Before we take our break, I just want to put this out there because it is something that that I can't help but notice and be a little obsessed with, which is the idea that this movie, Wedding in White, was uh, not only nominated but won. The Best Picture Award At the Canadian Film Awards in 1972 Meaning that this was Considered the best Canadian movie Of that year And it is extremely hard to find This is not a movie that is in the Canadian consciousness. This is not a movie that's easy to find on DVD. I guess at one point it was streaming on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure if it still is. But it is representative of the state of Canadian filmmaking that even the movies that we make that have, you know, recognizable names in it that were lauded and well-reviewed. This got a strong review from Vincent Canby. It got a strong review from Roger Ebert at the time. This is a movie that went to the Cannes Film Festival. It doesn't matter... That it was critically well received and it won all of these awards. For some reason, the Canadian film industry just does not want us to be able to watch these movies. And it's a really depressing thing for me because, look, I get it. We're Canadian. We're just a couple of degrees removed from the United States. But I like to see us represented on film. And this is a Canadian movie which features characters in Canada speaking, you know, with Canadian accents. And it's kind of refreshing to see. But, uh, Whether it's refreshing or not, the subject matter is still a little bit distressing.
0: I agree. Uh, We will uh, come back just after this break to talk about this uh, very powerful and unfortunately Canadian film. We'll be right back.
1: (laughs) Why were you looking at yourself like that?
0: You won't tell Dad. Tell him what? I think I'm in trouble. Maybe.
1: You've been with a man?
0: I didn't want to.
1: He put his hand over my face, and I could hardly breathe, and I was scared. Oh, God in heaven.
0: Who was he? It was that Billy.
1: Jimmy's friend.
0: A father will do anything to protect his family's reputation when his unmarried teenage daughter becomes pregnant because she was raped by her brother's friend. It's 1972's Wedding in White, one dark comedy. Oh my gosh, the laughs in this thing. No, it's not. It's a serious drama uh, starring Carol Kane, directed by William Fruitt, who you might know from Death Weekend. Really? Mm. Here's the thing, y'all. I did not read this before. uh <laughs> I read parts of this, but I did not read this particular thing. So this is, I mean, so this is worth mentioning because a lot of the films in this person's other filmography are films that are genre. So Death Absolutely. Weekend, Search and Destroy, Spasms, Killer Party, Blue Monkey. Side note: I think Blue Monkey is underrated. Actually. Oh yeah, it's I, I a like great movie. Thing. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and also, this was also written by William Fru- Fruitt, who also wrote Going Down the Road a uh, movie that you talk about way too much. And oh, I no, no. About I, I, I have prepped you about
1: Going Down the Road because its success in Canada was mm-hmm. absolutely crucial for Canadian movies about Canadian topics that were successful within Canada, which, is, again, even up to this point in 2020, is an extremely rare thing. Going Down the Road was a phenomenon back in 1970. The fact that William Fruitt wrote that movie... Is also uh, important to this movie Because the two lead actors in Going Down the Road Are uh, central characters, at least for a part of this movie And for Canadian audiences at the time, in 1972 They would have recognized it So the characters that they loved in this movie That one of them is this drunken brawler And the other one's a rapist I'm sure that that played into how people interpreted those characters at the time
0: Doug, no one cares about that
1: It's important, Liam
0: Um, I just think it's worth mentioning William Fruitt's career, uh, A, because, you know, those are two critically acclaimed movies. And I think there is, in some sense, a gap between these movies and something like Death Weekend or Blue Monkey. Uh, for me, I like those movies also. But um, I think in the public imagination, they're probably seen as different kinds of movies. Although I will say, parts of this film, I was going to say prior to knowing his. Uh, other work feel kind of extreme to me kind of genre to me which is Mm. not again what the movie is the movie is a drama but the way it's filmed the way it the starkness of it made me think almost of an exploitation movie or something darker than that does that make sense
1: Uh, maybe a little bit could you can you expound on that a little bit
0: oh yeah i mean we haven't gotten into the 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 you know the or the weeds of the plot but Mm -hmm. suffice it to say Carol Kane, after being raped and her family finds out she's pregnant, their responses to her are as dramatic and over the top as could possibly be in a real way. And the way it ends with her uh, marrying her uh, dad's friend Sandy—that is a horror movie ending if I've ever seen one. Yeah. I think that is that could not be more lacking in hope. That makes the that that the ending of this movie makes the ending of a zombie movie feel like an upbeat romp Mm -hmm. uh it is it is utterly without joy and i think that is not a criticism that's on purpose that's a way to tell you what the significance of this film is what it is that it's trying to say Uh, i think it's incredibly
1: important that the end of this movie is so dark simply because if if they somehow gave her character some sort of i mean i hate to say this some hope at the end it would sort of undo
0: the seriousness of what comes before I agree with you. I think that's very true, and I think it sort of helps us understand that, that this movie is not ambivalent, about what it's about. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not, oh, well, this is kind of a dark story, but you know, it it at least ends well. Oh no, 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 my friends, this, there is a, there is a morality, there is a perspective, there is a, a, an idea about men and patriarchy, Uh, there's an idea about culture, there's an idea, unfortunately for you, Doug, about Canada. Yeah, absolutely. That I think is at play here. Um, I want to highlight before we get into what you thought of the film, uh, that this film uh, features Donald Pleasance, of course, Carol Kane, uh, uh, you were referring earlier to Paul Bradley and Doug McGrath. Is mm-hmm. that that's right? Yeah. Um, as well as other actors who I'm mostly unfamiliar with, although I will say uh, I think a performance that probably gets underrated was Leo Phillips as Sandy. I yeah. think because Sandy is intoxicated most of the movie, it's easy to not take Sandy seriously as a performance. But actually, I think it's one of the tougher performances in the film. Absolutely. Because we have to believe Sandy is both a real person and yet is always drunk um, and has an underlying menace that is not always clear. Absolutely. I think that that's
1: actually a really extremely important point, which is that this is a recognizable character, you know, a drunk that is fun and that is always talking about how much he loves everybody when he's drunk, but also has that threat of violence handing kind of hanging over him at all times. And also he is pleasant, when he's like uh being sympathetic to his best friend played by Donald Pleasance in the movie, he's kind of fun and, and and like uh, excited and but you know that he's handsy, that he's creepy, that he makes really unpleasant advances towards Carol Kane's character, Jeannie Dougal in this movie, that that um that even before all of this comes together where he she's basically married off to the character, that he is showing um really uh, unpleasant and inappropriate affection towards her.
0: Well, before we get too much into the the weeds sure. here, I want to just generally ask you what you thought. It, you know, you're describing a little bit of its takedown of of patriarchy and its attempt to sort of humanize these female characters. So I'm assuming you hated it, right?
1: <laughs> oh, Liam, O oh, U. you. Uh, it's it's a movie that I I struggle with only in the sense that it's so depressing. Right? I mean, there is. And also that that we talk about it as if the plot is you know kind of simple, which is Carol Kane, she ends up being raped by a soldier. Uh, this, this movie takes place during World War II. Her brother comes home from the war on leave. He brings a friend of his, that friend who's also a soldier, rapes her, leaves. He's gone from the movie for the rest of it. She eventually, and this is like the halfway mark of the entire movie, she admits to her mother that she's pregnant. Her mother is... Absolutely distraught by this you know. uh, In terms of the societal Place in which her family exists She sees them being excised Her father when he finds out Not only is um, Totally overwhelmed but also He immediately beats the hell out of her uh, And it tries to throw her out of the house Entirely and the only thing that Can stop him from doing that is this Ridiculous awful plan To marry her off to his friend who's Like in his 60s you're talking about a 16 Year old girl at this point And I think that because they present her character uh, In an extremely sympathetic way But her character is presented as somewhat simple And I hate using that word But it's the one that they use in the movie itself That that she is not supposed to be someone who's very worldly uh, And she just goes along with a lot of things But there's a moment near Like right at the very end of the movie Right after the wedding has occurred Suddenly she's left alone All of her family, all of her friends They leave the house and just leave her there with her husband And she just starts to cry because... There's nothing left for her, right? I mean, her life... And you start to think for a second because she's left in this room with this drunk who's almost passed out from drinking so much. And you're like, well, at least maybe she can find some relief in, in the fact that he is so old and that there's like there's not much he can do. And then you see him kind of feign not being able to walk up the stairs because he's trying to basically, I guess, have sex with her. And that's how the movie ends. And it's just such a dark place and it's such a hopeless place for it to end. But what this movie is trying to say about, you know, the the um, cultural expectations of women at the time period, uh, I think it, it it probably was very pointed in the 1970s and remains so now. But, I mean, particularly, I think, in the 1970s. It's something that people uh would find very resonant, but also that's not all it has to say, and that it's not that's not the only thing this movie has to talk about. The other side of this movie is about soldiers and the expectation of soldiers in society and particularly in the post war and in Canada because this movie does play take place in Canada. you have this Donald Pleasance character, Jim Dougal, who works as I guess he runs a prison camp at the time or he's in charge of the prison camp, and he has this very holier than thou attitude and there's this incredible moment in the movie where Carol Kane her character's mother um, is basically confronting her husband trying to keep him from throwing her out of the house after the, the discovery that she's pregnant and we find out that she her situation like when she had sex with her husband for the first time that it was unwanted that it was almost the exact scenario that happens to Carol Kane's character and that she then you know she married him and he he's completely unwilling to accept that the same thing that was brought upon his daughter was something that he did himself, that he couldn't see himself as the bad guy in that scenario. And I think it's very darkly realistic how it's presented in the movie. And I, I mean, the Donald Pleasance character, like you said, he is a little overboard, I think realistically overboard in his responses to a, certain, to a certain extent. But I do think that the mother character, Doris Petrie, plays as Mary Dougal, I think she's amazing in the movie, even though it's a very low-key and restrained performance.
0: I mean, it's over the top, but I don't think in a way that is, uh, like you said, unbelievable. It's right. very much, uh, I think it's, uh, what makes me think of it in the sense of a genre film, maybe even an exploitation film, is the sense that it's it's a hard wall, it's a hard reality that she must face. Right. You know, and I think it's it might be hard for modern audiences. There's a question about, what it means to depict something, right? Mm? And I think this film is very much playing in the waters of all manner of uh, second wave feminism in which um, people aren't talking about the actual horror of everyday life that women are faced with. Right? You know what I mean? So showing this story, which was inspired by a real person that he had met and a story that he found very depressing and and so telling the story is meant for us to reflect on the nature of the world that we're in um it, it's funny you said about the soldiers the movie it made me actually think of a little bit have you ever seen um shadow of a doubt the hitchcock of film? course absolutely one of the things that i realized the second time i watched that movie and i'm not a huge hitchcock person so i don't want to pretend like i am but one of the things i noticed is that film there's just soldiers everywhere they yeah everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the movie I think suggests that none of these men are where they're supposed to be. That uh that these soldiers in shadow of a doubt should actually be somewhere. Uh that somewhere for those of you who aren't sure is World War II. That's where they should be. <laughs> and they're not, they're just hanging out and not doing anything useful. Uh, in this film, it's like uh you know there's a way in which we're reminded that the the violence and the uh intensity that uh, these Canadian soldiers are a part of in the war that it has repercussions back here, and yeah. the very response of Donald Pleasance when the suggestion is that Billy has raped her, he would he's a he's a soldier, he's a man of integrity. The realization that the weight, the prop, the the propaganda serves a purpose, right? That's how mm-hmm. you get people to fight. It's how you get people to. Do work at home to support the fight. Like the, the, I'm sure it all felt very necessary, but the other end of that propaganda is deeply painful and is deeply a problem, and that's what we're seeing partly at work here. That there is a a a ne'er do well in this film, and it is not her. It is not Carol Kane's character. It is this this man. This, by the way, old looking man. Her brother and this man <laughs> do not look close to her in age at no, all. They they not look. At all. They look almost too old to be soldiers in a way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so, like, the idea here is not that he's 22 or something else, which would still be a bad thing, but it would be at least understandable. This is a full ass man who sees this girl, is fully aware of her age. At least some of these other leering, lecherous, honestly disgusting soldiers who come after her throughout the film might have fooled themselves into thinking that she is an adult. Mm -hmm. But Billy knows but he is just so frustrated and so angry at the world that Mm -hmm. she has to give him what he wants. And I think that is, as you've said, about soldiers, about soldiering, about violence and state violence. It might not be as direct as a more political film, sure. but there's a message there that I think is hard to ignore.
1: The fact that they keep going back to like the club where all the soldiers are and Donald Pleasence's position in that and his position in the community, I mean, this is obviously, obviously something that's very intentional. And I, you know, I really want to go back to the fact that, that Jeannie Dougal's character, the Carol Kane character that she has been so robbed of her agency in her life yes, yes. that that she has even though she is like her her character is the central character of this movie she is the star of this movie but she is has to because of how things are structured because of how the world is laid out she has to take a back seat to everything that's happening so she is you know. I don't want to go into much detail about the rape in this scene. It's incredibly, of course, unpleasant. It is not titillating in any way, which is something I feel like we have to say because we watch a lot of exploitation movies where sometimes the rape scenes are like that. But in this movie, it's just deeply unpleasant. She's trying to sleep on a couch. He comes over to her. He forces himself on her. It's just a really awful scene. And then he threatens her on his way out the next morning. And that is the extent of his character in the movie. She At that point, her fate is sealed And she has no agency at all In regards to where the rest of her life is going to go She's done absolutely nothing wrong She has not acted inappropriate in any way and Not that she would be uh, That that she would have to have gone through this Even if she had acted uh, Quote-unquote inappropriate But in this case, her pregnancy Is not something that she had any say in whatsoever She comes to her mother with it That's a great scene, by the way, as well Where she's just staring at her mother and her mother can tell something is wrong, and she just says, I'm in trouble, and her mother knows exactly what that means. And the, again, I really think that, that uh, the performance of Her Mother by Doris Petrie is pretty amazing because she's that's a really difficult role where she's sympathetic, she loves her daughter, she she sees herself in her, um, but still knows that her daughter has, again, done, quote-unquote, done this terrible thing that will have ruined the rest of her life. The idea of abortion isn't even something that's... that's uh, that's discussed or even thought about in this movie Though the very fact that they don't discuss it Is a pretty pointed comment in and of itself So you have this response That is like sad and distressed The mother tries to... um to go to her husband and say, "Look, we can do this. She can have the baby, she'll go off to work, I'll basically raise it." She even comes off as sort of desperate saying like, "You have your, you know, your work with the army. I have nothing. I'm just here by myself. I want to raise this child." And her husband just dismisses her outright because again, the mother has no agency in her life either. And I think that's what a lot of this movie is about is the way that men have kind of co-opted a lot of that agency and left these women to, you know, kind of fight for the scraps of what they have. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people in retrospect think of World War II as this time period where women kind of grasped a lot of this agency back because men, you know, because out of necessity uh, that men were not available to do a lot of these things. But the I think the way that it's presented in this movie is a lot more reflective of how it happened in reality.
0: I mean, it's not just there, right? It's her friend who... yes. Is nothing but a young flirt, but everyone assumes the worst about her, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's also a way for her, the way that she flirts with men and manipulates them is a way for her to have agency. Because what else is given to her? She has no power. Neither does Jeannie, neither does her mom, neither does this woman, Sarah. I mean, think about Sarah. She's been cooking and entertaining Sandy for what appears to be decades. Right and yet he has no commitment to her. He can barely utter a fine word about her Uh, and her hurt at the end of the movie when Sandy is going to marry Jeannie. It's misplaced aggression, but I think it's a result of this man's world this world of drink and violence and unwelcome sexuality and deep deep guilt Mm -hmm. that part of what is motivating donald pleasance's dad response is his own culpability and that's true everywhere right i mean again he wins this award for what he's a he's a he's a fucking prison guard. Yeah. You know what I mean? He runs a prison camp. He's And he has and he has a, he has
1: no, I mean he hates the prisoners, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he even uh outwardly says that he he'd, he'd like to kill them all in there, right? I mean, he he says that I'm good at it. I'm really good at this job. But obviously, he's been pretty twisted by the work. Or
0: even the propaganda his,
1: maybe that's going on around that work.
0: Even his son, the whole thing is about how his son has this position of authority. Mm-hmm. He controls the supplies. In yeah. a way, He's probably one of the least ethical members of the Force because the idea here is that you talk to him to get what you want. That's not moral, you know? And yet that makes him somehow important, even though he's not on the front lines fighting in any particular You know what I mean? So He
1: obviously is ashamed of that to a certain extent as well mm-hmm. because he's got more than a uh, a chip on his shoulder. He almost, you know, every time, especially when he's drinking and a lot of those kind of more intense feelings come out, he is a volatile person. And we're, we're supposed to think that that volatility isn't just coming from the fact that he likes to drink, that he has been damaged by the war and is position in it. And uh, especially when he's surrounded by other soldiers that he thinks are maybe tougher or more capable than him.
0: Yeah. Well, I I just think that it's, you know, in this film, I think our man um, is really, you know, uh, uh, through it is really just trying to tell a story, a realistic story about a world controlled by men in the midst of war. And in the process, this almost feels like a feminist horror film. Sure. It's like the horror of the the reality of these women, um, which again, I don't know much about Fruitt. I don't know if that was his goal per se, but that's how the film ends up functioning because it's pretty clear that the men are sort of cruel and irredeemable and the women can be a certain way to each other, but always in response to what to me is the evil of these men, is there is there failing, you know? Um and there's a lot of other things we can say about the darkness of this movie. I do want to circle around to something else, though, Doug, because I, we need your input on this. Mm-hmm. How Canadian is this movie? Because uh, <laughs> if it's very Canadian, I'm wondering if I ever really want to go to Canada.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's the, the interesting thing about this movie is that they don't speak specifically about Canada. Uh, These are obviously Canadian characters, and it's taking place in Canada. I'm sure there are off references to where it takes place, though I don't think specifically they ever say that it's in, say, Ontario or small-town Ontario or something like that, even though that's how I pictured it as being. And, of course, Donald Pleasance is not Canadian, and Carol Kane is not Canadian. So the two kind of lead performances or central performances that are not Doris Petrie are non-Canadian actors. Though Donald Pleasance is playing, I guess, sort of a Scotsman. He has a kind of a, a, a Scotch... Uh, accent in this and and plays it very well, especially if you've ever seen Django 2, where he plays <laughs> he plays Scottish to a, a, a different kind of tune. Um, but they do make sure that all these characters say A a lot. So in case you weren't sure that they're Canadian, that is reinforced. In terms of what makes this specifically Canadian, I think there are attempts here to keep it from being too Canadian. Now, going down the road, is an extremely Canadian movie. It is about Canadian themes. It is about people trying to escape from their boring uh, and, and uh, go-nowhere lives in the maritimes to drive across the country and to get to Toronto, a place that has potential for a better life for them, or at least that's how they perceive it. But in this movie... It's, I think it's more about the universality of the situation that is on display, that this did, didn't have to be Canadian soldiers returning from the war, that this could be American soldiers. But it is also a pointed critique of Canada and mm. the way that, that, that maybe – and this is something that exists up to this day, that when we think about the United States in Canada, we think about the United States as, as at odds – With Canadian life, and that we see the U.S. as something to be compared against, Um, and that is, I think, also plays into the fact that Canadians, and uh, maybe some Canadians would disagree with this, they have both a superiority and inferiority complex when it comes to the United States, so when they see horrible things happen in the U.S., they're like, oh, there go the Americans doing it again, and admittedly, I do that exact same thing, and I've done it a lot in this year because things are pretty bad in the States, but then You also have to recognize that there's extremely awful things happening in your own country, and this was a magnifying glass turned back upon itself. Look, the fact is, a lot of Americans did not see this movie. This is not a movie that has a place in the pantheon of great American movies of the 1970s Or movies at all of the 1970s But as as limited as these audiences would be A lot of Canadians would have seen it Or would have been aware of it I mean it did again It won the best picture of that year At the Canadian Film Awards This is a movie that was meant to be A message to Canadians And I think Hopefully that it resonated, especially for those audiences in the early 1970s, where there was so much change happening in the world, hopefully in a lot of cases for the better, that the idea that the control that women were denied in the late 1940s, that hopefully that, I mean, and we talked about the lack of agency, The as you mentioned, Carol Kane's friend in the movie, Jeannie Douglas' friend in it, she is able to somewhat weaponize her sexuality to gain a little bit of agency. But then because of that, she's labeled as a horrible person, right? Where there's no win at all. And so the fact that so much was changing at the time, the sexual mores were changing, that uh, abortion was something that was becoming legalized and uh, made available to people at the time. It is, I think, to reinforce how far things have come, but also how far they are yet to go.
0: The other thing I wanted to ask you about, Doug... What did you think of the performances in this film? I know you're familiar with these actors. Some of them, some of them were completely new to me. I had no idea who they were. Um, but before we get into Carol Kane, I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the other performances.
1: I mean, we've talked about them a little bit. Uh, I do think that the supporting performances are strong. I will say that even though Paul Bradley and Doug McGrath, who play the the brother soldier and the uh, his friend who ends up uh, raping Jeannie's character, they they bring a lot of energy to their roles And like I said, people would have recognized them From going down the road That that was a big enough movie that them being in this movie As these despicable characters That would have been a message to the audience at the time Which I think anyone who wasn't Canadian And wasn't aware of that movie That probably would not have registered uh, But I think that was a pretty important context of it Especially because they enter the movie And then leave entirely um, And, and it, the focus becomes more on Genie later in the movie uh, I think... Th- I'm not sure I love those performances. They are despicable. I do think there's a lot of drunken performances in this. I do want to say that what you mentioned about Leo Phillips' performance as Sandy, I think he does stand out. But uh, I do... I think when... My takeaway from this movie... Are the female performances in it Because they are not given these showcase moments They're not given these Foster Hewitt Drunken moments of revelry Or anything like that Or even moments of violence They are expected to fit a certain position within society But... They also have to show the complexity of struggling against these roles that they've been forced into the, the trauma that they've had to experience in regards to what has led them to these roles. And uh, I think that extends to Carol Kane's performance, which is, boy, I'll tell you for someone who is playing 16, I think she would have been in her early twenties at the time that this is, uh, this comes out. This is an extremely difficult performance. And it's amazing to think that we went from again, two-minute performances in Carnal Knowledge and two-minute performances uh, in the first film that we covered that I can't remember the name of, uh, that we went from those performances and now we see the full potential of her as an actress in this. It's pretty amazing to, to see. It, it's it's got me very excited about the films we're about to hit up uh, because we're about to hit a string of extremely well-known movies with larger Carol Kane performances. And this feels like, and maybe people who are aware of her career maybe wouldn't even realize that, this feels like the pivot point for her as an actress in mainstream Hollywood movies.
0: Yeah. I want to lift up specifically Doris Petrie as uh, Barry Dougal and Christine Thomas as Sarah McCarver. Mm -hmm. I think they are very important to the film. And I think Christine Thomas has an unenviable task of being completely sympathetic and then Mm -hmm. having a turn at the end. And it's a turn that you understand. It's totally in a sense justified, but it's at the wrong people. And, that is the magic of it and and it really works for me uh and then of course like it's almost not worth saying but other than halloween 2 i love donald pleasance and oh, I you, don't, you don't you don't like him in halloween 2 i don't i don't mm, love him in Halloween two. i don't think he's terrible but i think there are visible parts of halloween 2 where i think he's just drunk he's not performing he's just intoxicated Mm-hmm. Uh and it, it it bums me out a little bit. Uh and and you know, that's probably exacerbated by remembering his Saturday Night Live performance of that year, which is yes. one of the most horrifying things I've ever watched. But um uh this time in Donald Pleasant's career, he's he's killing it. He's he's just great. Uh I, I think I agree with you that this role is in some ways a little more overstated than obviously the one of Sandy that we talked about earlier, but but he still nails it, and I mm-hmm. love him doing it even if the character I have deep uh uh
1: uh Um, dislike (laughs) yeah i was looking for a more complicated word but yeah
0: even though i deeply dislike the character his performance is so strong Mm -hmm. and it really uh carries that part of the movie um but i think it's worth mentioning that and i think you already nailed it that uh that carol Kane is what this movie is about that even though it takes till the second half of the movie for her to become the full focus Mm -hmm. uh she's strong from the jump And she carries that through. And that final, you know, the final notes of this movie are about her and Leo Phillips. And between the two of them, between her deep, deep pain and deep, deep uh, despair and Leo Phillips' pretend goofy actual menace, Mm -hmm. the end of the movie is haunting. And it really works because of their, I would go so far as to say, chemistry as that as those two characters in that in the end of that that she is not fooled she's been uncomfortable with him from the beginning and she realizes that there's nowhere for her to go that she cannot escape
1: there's a scene uh, earlier in the movie where she is sitting at the table and uh Leo Phillips is Sandy he comes in and he's drunk and his girlfriend if you could call her that Dolly is there as well um oh sorry his girlfriend uh, Sarah uh MacArthur. is that correct am i Right on that, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a a woman who he visits a lot.
1: Sorry, so there's a woman that he is seeing. Let's say is there as well, and he flirts with Jeannie at the table when he comes in, and he like talks about how long he's known her and how she's grown up, and there's this obvious sloppy hitting on her, asking for a kiss. You know, it meant to be playful, but anyone with any you know experience in the world would see that there's an element of Creepiness and an element of menace to what he's Doing where he's not going to take no for an answer And it, it's an incredibly affecting Scene because where the movie Goes afterwards you can't help but think About that afterwards and what he's going to be Like as a partner for her Um, Carol Kane's performance in this Is not showy at all Uh, which is why it probably is not Maybe, uh, remembered by as many people as some of her performances throughout the rest of the 1970s. She is uh, playing a very passive character out of necessity. I think about it a little bit. There's a part in this movie where the decision has been made. It's not a decision she had any part in, but she's going to be married off to this 60-year-old man, and her father, Donald Pleasance, brings home this secondhand wedding dress. And for a moment, it seems like everything is okay. She She's so... Pleased with the look of this, you know the, the small pleasures that she can find in life come with these kind of simplistic things, these dresses and this um, th- th- this little uh, brooch that she's given by the soldier who ends up raping her earlier in the movie. So, th- for a moment, she's a- afforded this peace from this physical object. But that you know, it only is a distraction from the larger reality of what she's going to have to experience. And I think that those kind of somewhat lighter moments in the movie are really important to show how sympathetic this character is, and how um, how she did not have any say in all of the events that take place in this movie, and how important that is in regards to what this movie is trying to say. I think it's a really tremendous performance. I think she actually is extremely realistic as a 16 year old very believable in that character but she also is haunting how she looks in this movie i mean she is so youthful but uh you know what we mentioned in the opening segment about her looking like a, a painting of a ghost i mean that's how she looks she seems so fragile and frail in this character it just makes what is put upon her all the more tragic scene
0: i think it's worth mentioning like i i i'm pretty sure you'd agree with this i very much recommend this movie for people who are able to handle the deep despair that this film represents it's extremely it's a
1: triggering movie for sure
0: but i want to highlight there is a not quite disagreement but there is a separation of people who feel comfortable with depiction and people who prefer inspiration So I think there is a segment of the potential audience for this movie that would want more for Carol Kane's character Mm. because it would be inspiring for her to escape. Right, I see that a secret well of strength or whatever, and I think that's fair. You know, it runs in. We run into this issue when we talk about queer cinema, right? How much queer cinema ended up, whether it was created by folks who were part of the LGBT community or people who were simply. Uh, uh, telling the stories of that community, even if they weren't a part of it, Mm -hmm. so much of it ends up becoming dark because a lot of the reality is dark. And so we focus on the darker stories, and this is a dark story. And for some audiences, that doesn't work. They don't want just darkness. They don't want just despair. They don't want something that is still instructive. There's still something to be taken from this film, but it is lacking in inspiration. I think some people... Don't want that. Even if it might seem unrealistic, they've seen enough of people dying. They've seen enough of people going into hopeless relationships. They've seen enough of women's, the limitations by a man's world on women and their potential. Yeah. I mean, the reality of
1: the misery of this situation is not something that I think would be lost on any woman who watched it because they're living it.
0: Right, and i so so I think it's worth saying that if for you you have had enough of depiction and you prefer some source of inspiration, none of that is here this that is not what this movie is interested in,, yeah. but if you are ready for something that is a uh, again, maybe it's a little extreme in some ways, but I think is a realistic portrayal of how a lot of women's lives have gone over time. Then this is this is worth viewing. It's it's in a lot of ways kind of a beautiful movie, but who is it a heavy it's a heavy load to carry.
1: I also think that there's a portion of Americans, uh probably left leaning Americans, who think of Canada as a more enlightened place. I might be <laughs> misinterpreting that, but I do think that some people think that. And I think it's important to show that that we have this darkness in our history and that that darkness still exists in a lot of ways, and not just in regards to sexual politics, but in a lot of different different areas of our life. And that's why I think it's important to be exposed to Canadian movies. We're still your neighbor up here, but I think when I say things like residential schools or um or or other you know really recent dark elements within our history that people in the United States wouldn't know what that means and also people in this country don't know what that means so the fact that we don't have as much representation on the screen and that Americans in particular don't care about Canadian films and I understand that but also Canadians don't care about Canadian movies I feel like it is it's it's a part of our history that never gets explored by a lot of people
0: I would have actually no problem with the complete obscuring of Canadian (laughs) particularity if it came in in hand in hand with a complete acceptance of their influence upon us. But outside of certain legends of comedy, it's not like there's a two-way street when it comes to Canada and America. We shove our art onto you and it gets accepted by some, maybe not by all, but we're not then awash in Canadian culture, you know? And, and that's what bums me out. It's it's not just that a lot of Canadians are watching American films, but it's that they're not watching Canadian films, and we're not watching Canadian films. And if you're in Canada, and you're like, well, I won't make Canadian films, I'll come here and to the U.S. Sure. and make films, that's not easy either. That, like, it is a it is a work, you know? It's easier than being a Mexican filmmaker and coming here uh, and making movies or, or from some other place but uh but i don't it's it's not like i mean you say
1: that liam but i i mean yes you're right it's 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 a different situation but i at least for a mexican filmmaker making movies in spanish you're making movies for a spanish-speaking audience who are going to see it because of that point in canada i think people think of canadian movies within this country many people think of canadian movies as just inferior versions Of American movies because of the resources that are available, because of the skill that's available, and I think that's kind of... I mean, it's very unfair. I mean, one of the the kind of... I don't know if tragic is the right word, but unfortunate circumstances that you have William Fruitt, who wrote and directed this movie, wrote one of the most uh, important Canadian movies of all time, going down the road, and his career went on to Canadian television and then kind of American television that was shot in Canada afterwards. He's made dozens and dozens and dozens of episodes of Canadian television and television that was made in the uh, in Canada but was shown worldwide, worldwide. And that is the path that almost every renowned Canadian director of the 1970s and 80s went. They all had to go to television because that's the only way that they could make a living unless they went to the United States.
0: To be fair, he also made Blue Monkey, so that was cool.
1: Yeah, but that was the late 80s, right? I mean, now he's. I know. I know. I know.
0: know. I'm just just trying to highlight something I like. He
1: directed four episodes of Animorphs. Does that make you impressed as well?
0: Oh, let's not get into the (laughs) animals, please. Uh, Okay, so uh, that was our episode covering uh, Wedding in White. Uh, Like I said, if you feel like you can handle this level of darkness, I think it's worth uh, checking out and that um, uh, there's a lot to learn from it. I do Uh, think, by the way,
1: that that even aside, I know you already mentioned, this is a disturbing movie. It's not for everyone necessarily. But if you are interested in the career of of Carol Kane as an actress, this is an extremely important role for us. It was very, uh, for her, sorry. And and for us as people who are covering her career Chronologically, this was the moment Where for me it was like, alright All of the things that we know Are coming later for her as an actress We can see a nascent version of them here This is the actress that we thought We were getting when we started this project And it's really refreshing and interesting To see where, where things are going to grow Hopefully from there, though I don't know if Our next movie is going to have a lot of Carol Kane either I just don't know, because it's a movie that Even though I've wanted to see for a long time I've never seen
0: What is that movie, Doug?
1: That movie is, again, a very high-profile 1970s movie. uh, The Last Detail from 1973, directed by Hal Ashby, the famous Hal Ashby, who also directed Harold and Maude, Shampoo, Being There, uh, and written co-written by Robert Towne, in this case, of course, the writer of Chinatown and so many other legendary works. Uh, The Last Detail, uh, starring Jack Nicholson, another Jack Nicholson movie that we're going to have here, also with another amazing cast really looking forward to getting a chance to talk about uh, that movie, even if Carol Kane in that movie, her uh, character is simply (laughs) named as Young Whore. So we'll see how how that goes when we actually see it. Maybe maybe the influence of her performance here and uh, the notoriety of it and uh, how well she does, maybe it took a while for that to spread into the kind of roles that she got in the United States.
0: It's possible. It's possible. Doug, if people are interested in more Carol Kane or Cinema Smorgasbord, content, where can they find us?
1: Well, all the latest episodes are up at CinePunks.com, which you can find on all sorts of social media under CinePunks, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Uh, but if you want to check out our variety of Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts, just go over to CinemaSmorgasbord.com. You can also uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You could leave us a review on one of those. We'd appreciate it very, very much. And we're also on social media as well on Twitter at Cinema S-M-O-R-G, S-M-O-R-G and on Facebook, just do a search for Cinema Smorgasbord. And of course, both Liam and I are on Twitter as well. You are at Liam Rules, that's R U L Z, and I'm there at Doug underscore Tilly, that's T I L L E Y. <sighs> Y'all right there, Liam?
0: <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I suddenly realized I had no idea how to end this. Hold on. <laughs> well, thanks so much for that, Doug, and hopefully people will take the time to check out before our next episode the last detail but whatever they do I hope you will tell your friends about the show uh, Liam I gotta intru- I gotta
1: interrupt you for a second w- yeah. one thing about this movie and it's something that I have a concern about regarding some of the movies that we cover on our podcast it's hard to find this movie it's hard to find Canadian movies anyway normally I wouldn't recommend such a thing but if you do a search at the time that this episode is released for Wedding and White there are places to watch it online and I would recommend that you go out of your way to do it if it sounds like the kind of movie that uh that you might uh well maybe enjoy is not the right word but certainly appreciate
0: thank you so much for listening uh we really appreciate all the support uh please tell your friends and you know join us for the next episode hopefully having seen the last detail uh we'd love to have your input and know a little bit of what you think about it uh in the meantime take care <laughs> Only one Hey little sister Who's your superman Hey little sister Who's the one you want Hey little sister Shotgun It's a nice day To start again It's a nice day For a white wedding It's a nice day